The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Jay, this is uh, the most sad part of the year for me. You know why? Why? Because we are now finally so many games into the NFL season. We have so much data. We have so much film. We have so much information that I am absolutely cleaning up on pickups. All right. I am nailing it. I, I won like 600 bucks in pickups in, in divisional round weekend, but there's only three games left. And so I, I have like three more chances this season to, to make up for all my losses from the first six weeks when it was utter chaos. And I don't know if I'll be able to do it, but it was a good You're like that bear that slept through the first part of spring and into <laughs> summer and days start getting a little bit shorter and you're like, there's fish to catch. <laughs> I got to get busy. Yeah, my, my belief in the Panthers uh, did not go well for me uh, through the first few months of the season. Uh, but you know, it's okay. We live and we learn. Uh, they, they disappointed a lot of people, including Panthers fans, but, uh, we're not here to talk about the worst team in the league. We're here to talk about some of the best teams in the league. It is AFC and NFC championship weekend. We are doing a full blowout preview of both games. Okay. And we are not ashamed to say that we're stealing from Joel Klatt in terms of our, not a bit for this episode, how it's going to go is we're going to talk about what is the ideal style that each team wants to play? What is the type of game offensively and defensively that these teams want to play to give them the best chance to win? You know, what what's some of the data that supports that? What are some of the, the film examples that support that? How do these teams like to play? And how do those particular favored styles match up against their opponent? These are two very even matchups. I'll be honest, these are two of the hardest games to pick the entire year. Even now, while we're recording, I'm still not 100% confident in my picks, uh, but we have a lot of information to throw at you guys today. But before we get to that, EJ, how you doing? I'm great. We sort of teased this format earlier in the year. We thought about, uh, we asked what you all wanted to see. And one of the answers we got that we really liked was, hey, could you take one game and dive in really specifically? And it was a few weeks after that that Joel Klatt did his preview of the college national championship game. If you don't know who Joel Klatt is, he's a commentator in college football, does a tremendous job, does a solo podcast, and he basically used this format. We both saw it, and we thought, 
that's what we want our Super Bowl preview to be like because typically that's the the one time of year when we look at one game and go really deep on it. But we thought if that was going to be the case, this was an ideal time to try out the format. Um, we like it. We think it has legs. Uh, we hope you all like it. But lots to throw at you. I think it's organized in a way that hopefully tells a story of the game to you as a fan. If you're not a fan of one of these teams and you're just kind of coming into discovering the beauty that is Ravens football at this time of year because, you know, you're a Titans fan or whatever else. Great. Sit down, buckle up. This should be good stuff. Before we get into it, one last note. Uh, if you also cleaned up on underdog in the divisional round and you want to try your hand at uh, cleaning up again in the championship round on screen right now, that's the entry that I got going uh, for this weekend's game. If you're new to underdog, by the way, you've never done pickums before. Don't worry about it. We're going to make it a little bit easier for you. Christian McCaffrey is your special for uh, new signups this weekend at half of a total yard. So assuming things go better for him than they did for George Pickens when we did this earlier in the year where you got negative yards on the one day we needed him to get one yard. Let's just assume things go better for CMC and uh, Kyle Shanahan does the unthinkable and actually feeds him the ball. He's going to get higher than half a yard, so you'll get credit for that on your pick entry. Uh, you just need to hit the other two or three or four, depending on how big you want your entry to be. Uh, again, you can use promo code BOOTLEG. That will match your deposit on anything up to $100. And again, you get access to that Christian McCaffrey special as a new sign-up. And anybody that does sign up directly benefits the show, too. So if you want to play Pick'ems and support the show, uh, supporting our sponsors at Underdog is a good way to do it. So thank you to Underdog again for sponsoring us and making the show possible. With that being said, EJ, let's start with the AFC matchup that we all half expected when the AFC playoffs started, Kansas City and Baltimore. We certainly thought of a tussle between probably three possible teams, one of them being the Bills. Bills eliminated last week versus Kansas City. Um, these three teams were teams we thought would be in it at the end, uh, at the beginning of the year. They have taken various paths to get here, but like you said, um, a great game. Going to be really difficult to pick this game because it is two very talented teams. If we talk about the story, we're going to start with the Chiefs offense and the game they want to play. They want to get some rhythm with the running game, if not efficiency, because efficiency is going to be hard to come by versus the Baltimore defense. We'll talk about that, but they want to get in a rhythm with Pacheco. They did it a little bit against the Bills. They want to draw defenders towards the line of scrimmage, make those mid-range gaps where Mahomes can exploit that he's so good throwing the ball. They want to hit the one-on-one targets. They don't do it very often, but when they present themselves – Man, Mahomes is not missing. The ball he had to MVS versus Buffalo is just a perfect example. And don't turn the ball over to give Lamar more chances. They know that the Baltimore offense is dangerous, even more dangerous than it's been in years past when they've seen them. They're well aware of how dangerous the defense is, but they're going to have to try and find ways to continue drives because it's not really built. This is KC, not really built to be a quick strike offense. We've talked about the lacking in their receiver core all year. Yes, Rasheed Rice has come on, but this is not a, hey, we're going 75 yards in one play offense. So they're going to have to find a way to keep the drives rolling keep that Baltimore offense off the field by playing good offense of their own. And if they do that, it's going to give them the best chance to win. This is a little bit easier said than done. Like specifically the, <laughs> the getting in rhythm, yeah. you know, 
having efficiency, forcing Baltimore into single high structures so that they can stop the run, which then tends to open up a lot of what Mahomes does best, i.e. layering uh, those deep crosses over the defender, but outside of the safety's reach. Like anytime you get into a single high structure, Mahomes is liable, no matter who's catching the ball, to just throw absolute dots on those deep crossing routes. He's made a career out of it, right? That's why teams don't like playing cover three against Kansas City. <laughs> and it was true with with Kelsey and Tyreek and now Rasheed Rice, you know, the occasional Justin Watson appearance. Like that's the throw that everybody's scared of. The only real way to get teams into that structure is being very efficient on first down. And the Chiefs, oddly enough this year, or perhaps not oddly if you've watched them at all, they've not been a very good first down team until they got to the playoffs. But for the majority of the season, I mean, if we're just looking at favorable second down situations, they've had the seventh fewest, quote unquote, manageable second downs in the league this year, meaning they gained between four and nine yards on first down. So that's like second and manageable or second and short. They've only had 125 total of those situations the entire year, which is about seven per game. That sounds like a lot. It's really not when you compare it to all the other teams that are very good on first down, right? So they end up in a lot of second and longs. And I mean, the Chiefs are a 70% passing team as it is, let alone when they're second and long. Then it's like, okay, now we got to throw our way out of it. But they have to get better on first down against Baltimore specifically to get into second and manageable because even though it doesn't happen very often for them, when they are in second and manageable, they're one of the best teams in the NFL in that situation. Like if they can just be good on first down, they're (laughs) fifth highest in EPA per play on second and manageable. Like they're exceptional at it. So then you look at the tape and you're okay, well, why is that? Why are they so good on second and five or less? That particular down and distance in between the 20s is where teams play a lot of man coverage, particularly a lot of cover one. Remember what we said, single high structures. Pat eats those for lunch. And not only is it single high structures, it's single high structures with man coverage, which means those crossing routes are going to be open. The shallow crosses especially are going to be open. If it's man coverage with pressure, the screen game can be very effective at it because they're they got some really good yak weapons, specifically Rasheed Rice. Like, that's the kind of look that Kansas City has been very good against this year. There's not very many of them that they've been excellent against this year, but that's the one. And so when you get into that second and four, you get a lot of cover one, and they will absolutely dominate that. So to your point, considering how great Kansas City's been uh, when first and 10 is successful for them, um, I would say that and not third down is the more important down for them. Because if they're in second and eight, if they're in second and nine, repeatedly over and over again, and Baltimore can just kind of sit back into those zone coverages that they play so much, whether it's quarter, quarter, half, half, quarter, quarter, cover three, quarter. I mean, they play fucking everything, right? But if they're allowed to sit back in zone with those two high structures, and you're in second and long, like that's not that's not what Kansas City thrives against. So to your point, run it with Pacheco early and often. Get those five-yard chunks. You don't need to be super explosive. You just need to be efficient. And that's when Kansas City has a shot. Now, as we flip that over to the other side and the team they're going to face 
if you're Mike McDonald leading the Baltimore defense, as he's done brilliantly all season, he knows what they want to do and what they're good at. And his first order of business is going to be to squash that. He needs to destroy the run early so that the Chiefs effectively don't have that offensive dimension. And teams have done that almost all year against the Chiefs. Again, playoff Chiefs are very different than the regular season Chiefs we've seen in terms of (laughs) their ability to run, their ability to string drives together, their ability to be efficient. Rasheed Rice coming up. Um, We're going to talk about Travis Kelsey in a second. Need to know where he is at all times because he is rounding back into form. He did not look like himself through the middle part of the season. It wasn't just drops. He looked a little bit slower. He was, I would guess, nursing an injury. The last three or four weeks, if you're going to ignore Kelsey, you're going to do it at your own peril. He's starting to get back to not where he's going to make those explosive plays so much, but he's extending drives. So McDonald's got to keep an eye on him after doing job one, which is smashing Pacheco, making sure there isn't efficiency on early down runs that are going to set Baltimore up to be in those situations that KC can exploit. So in McDonald's corner, he's thinking, I got to take away the big right hand and the big right hand is first down efficiency. So I'm going to try and go the other way as a defense. I'm going to try and make explosive defensive plays on first down. And we've talked all year about how important those early in the series of down explosive plays for defense are and how much more sort of uh, a sort of harbinger of, you know, overall success. Those are, if you can get those as a defense, it's, even better than playing well on third down and being a good third down defense. If you're a good first and second down defense and you can get a negative play in there, your chance of snuffing out the drive is better. McDonald's going to have that start with just crushing the run. Creative blitzes. You talked about the fact that they play everything. They do. He's got to mix it up. It's not that he's going to confuse Mahomes. Mahomes is far enough into his career that he's seen it. Um, But some of the late rotations that McDonald uses right when the quarterback puts their head down. Right. Right. When they Mm -hmm. they look away, they look up, they get their picture. They look both sides. They check what the motions doing. They look down. And that's when Baltimore rotates. It's not so much that they rotate. It's when they rotate. So they're just muddying that picture. When the head comes back up, the snap comes into your hand. You're going to have to like mix blitzes. And there's always a risk when you blitz Mahomes because he eats it. And if you mix Mm -hmm. it and play single coverage behind it, you already talked about what happens. So you're going to have to do that with extreme rarity and hope you get away. That's kind of the backside slot corner blitz like and hope it gets home. And then when you get there, when they get the chance, Baltimore is a defense. When they get near Mahomes, they have to finish. The Bills like Russo got got Mahomes. There's no other way to say that he's wrapped around his waist. He's draping off of him. Mahomes just spins out. They end up picking up 25 yards on that play. Should have been an eight-yard loss. Turns into a 25-yard gain. Those are swing plays. We've talked all year about how close playoff football is, how much teams don't want to give up big plays in the early going. They want to take punches, keep standing, come back and hit. And then when things start to turn, manage that stress. And those are the guys that are going to win the game. In this case, those plays, plays like that where you thought you had an eight-yard loss and it turns into a 25-yard gain, you can't allow that. Now, Baltimore's been a very good rallying tackle team. They need to keep that up because if they get close to Mahomes, they've got to put him down. And again, as you said, much easier said than done. The good thing about Baltimore's defense is they are generally a very good tackling defense. Um, you know, So if we're just looking at missed tackle rates, particularly against the pass, 
the Ravens are tied for the best missed tackle rate in the NFL, meaning the lowest percentage of missed tackles at only 12%. I know that sounds like a lot of missed tackles. Again, relative to some very poor tackling teams, it's not, right? Like they, the Ravens don't miss a whole lot in space. Um, not only against receivers like Rasheed Rice, but also against quarterbacks that are mobile. Like they they tackle a lot better than what was left of the Bills defense last week, right? Right. So that in itself is a little bit of an advantage towards them because KC this year has relied a lot on making people miss in space to get their explosives. You know, you mentioned creative blitzes and A, to your point, you can't show anything to Pat more than once. Like you absolutely can't. Or he's he's just going to absolutely shred you. But it doesn't mean that there aren't ways to blitz him. And there's uh, there's a call that's very popular amongst all the the general Saban tree, which is like half a college football at this point, and a good portion of the NFL. Everybody steals from Nick. Um, it's called shake to roll, and and two roll is a variation of cover two, where it's still the same zone distribution of cover two with two deep half defenders, but you're rolling into it. So like a corner could be showing press coverage and then he bails back to play the deep half while the other safety, like let's say we're, we're presenting single high and then he's playing the other deep half and then you're bringing a nickel off the edge, you're bringing a safety off the edge. And it's a way to still be sound deep down the field while also trying to get somebody free off the edge. To your point, they got to finish it, which is why if I'm bringing anybody on that, I'm bringing Kyle Hamilton because he can finish it. But something I want to emphasize is with those types of coverages, you can can roll into it that makes it look like you're calling something else. It makes it look like you're, you're getting into something else, but all of a sudden, you know, in the half second that Mahomes has... He's, oh, God, they're in they're in cover two. Okay, what's my... Oh, shit, Kyle Hamilton's on me. Like, that's how you do it. You can only call it once, but I think that that's the kind of stuff that, that Baltimore is going to do is they're going to call those types of blitzes where we're, we're rolling into it, we're, we're getting somebody free off the edge, we're generating an explosive negative play, and then we never go back to that look at all. And they're going to have to have like eight to nine of those, like individual calls that... Here's our shot. We got to land it. If they miss on more than half of those, they're probably going to lose the game. But yeah. those eight to nine situational calls, and it's going to be on third down, it's going to be in the red zone. You know, like I'd be willing to bet that we see more zero in the red zone from Baltimore than at any time this year because they're going to have – and I, I don't mean like zero blitz. Like I, That's definitely not something you want to do against a team that throws so many screens at <laughs> KC. I'm talking like zero double. As in, no traditional, like, post-safety, no deep half safeties in the red zone. Like, it's zero double, so everybody's in man coverage, but the two safeties are dedicated to doubling two individual threats, which are going to be Kelsey, is going to be Rasheed, and go make MVS beat you from the 18-yard line. Like, we're going to see a lot of that from the Ravens. Again, they can't call it very often, but they're going to have to call it eventually. Uh, or rather... I cycle through individual situational calls like that. And that's what makes guarding Mahomes so difficult is the fact that you kind of only get to use your best stuff once. You can't go back to it. And so your playbook has to be 
like the size of a dictionary because <laughs> his brain will remember exactly what you call. The one thing or another thing I should say that works to, uh, to Baltimore's favor is that if you are able to muddy the picture and you are able to play all these different zone coverages and you know you can still play zone behind bringing five and six guys Baltimore loves to do that like they don't just call man blitzes they'll call zone blitzes a lot too um, if you can force every single throw to be contested and you avoid the man coverages that KC eats against and he has to throw to say Again, MVS with a safety bearing down on him. He has to throw to Travis with Roquan sitting right there. Like Even Travis has struggled in terms of contested catching this year. And the Chiefs, fun fact, as unsurprising as this may be, are the worst contested catch team in the entire league this year. It's absolutely horrific at about 28%. So if you can just contest the throws, they're only going to catch 28% of them. And that's even with Rasheed coming on. That's even with Travis kind of getting back to his old ways the last couple of weeks. Like, they're still not a great contested catch team. And so you have to challenge them by leaving those zone helpers in the middle, by having those safeties playing deep half down the sidelines so that if they are trying to fit it, you know, into that little that little honey hole between the flat and the, and the deep half safety, it's going to be contested. Make them catch the ball while taking a hit. If you can do that, even if Pat throws a dime, you still are probably in pretty good shape. It's still probably not going to be caught. So all that to say, recapping everything, lots of zone coverages, avoid man like the plague. If you are going to blitz, you can only call it once and empty the mag. Like every single bullet you got has to be fired in this one. You have to throw every look that you have. Middle field open. Middle field closed, blitzes, like simulated pressures, mm-hmm. every kind of zero that you've got, whether it's zero double, whether it's zero with a five man, whether it's straight up zero blitz where you're sending everybody and we're going to be plus one no matter what. Again, I don't recommend doing it more than once, but <laughs> and pick empty spot. the mag. Like you, you have to do that against this team. You, you cannot. You can't be Gus Bradley. That's what I'm trying to say here. Like, if you're Gus Bradley and it's like, hey, we're going to play what we play, like, get the fuck out of here. You lose. Luckily, Mike McDonald's not that, not that kind of DC. Like, he he does call everything, but, like, they have to stick to that. They have to call everything or they will lose. This round of playoffs has shown us several things, but one of the things it's shown very clearly is if you are going to play scared – If you're going to play timid, especially in the last two to four minutes of the half and certainly down the stretch in a game, you're most likely going to lose. There is conservative and there is safe and the line is thin and you need to play safe. You cannot play loose and fast. We're going to talk about that as we swap it over. But if you play scared, if you hold stuff and say, well, he might or they might, you you're not going to win. And like you said, I, I like McDonald's aggression and I, I like his history of doing that, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We don't have a history of him going in the tank and saying, okay, I'm, I'm just going to play prevent. Like 
the furthest thing from it. If there's a if there's an antithetical to that, it's Mike McDonald. So as we pivot over to the Baltimore offense, we're going to talk about a lot of the same concepts in reverse uh, that we've talked about with both these teams so far. But again, as you're Todd Monken, who is one of the major reasons, one of the architects for Baltimore being in the position they're in, not only back in the playoffs, which they've been, but back in the playoffs as a one seed and a dominant force. That has a lot to do with the offensive balance that Todd Monken's brought to Baltimore, something we've been begging for for a couple of years in terms of we love Roman's running game, but his passing game was not up to snuff. Monken brought that balance, and as a result, the Ravens are where they are, which is tremendous. Now they're going to have to do it against Spagnuolo. So we'll talk about the Baltimore offense first. They need to dominate with gap runs the way Buffalo was able to do it early in the game. Buffalo got away from it a little bit, but early in the game, if you go back and watch first quarter and early in the second quarter, Buffalo was ripping off seven, eight yards right through the middle of the KC defense. Baltimore's got to be able to do that. They have the guys, they have the players to be able to do that. They've got to commit to it. And if they can do that and the Chiefs can't stop them, they can just keep doing that because that is that is safe. That is not conservative. If you are imposing your will to that level on the ground, Baltimore will just keep doing it, and it will open up the rest of their offense. You're going to get play-action shots off of that. You're going to get flat routes to the tight ends that they absolutely love. Um, You're going to see all that. We might see Mark Andrews coming back in this game. That's a major factor. If he does, uh, he is going to eat if they run the ball well. I know that's a strange thing to say about a receiver, but there you go. They've got to control the clock. Same as we said that, you know, Pat doesn't want to give possessions to Lamar. Lamar does not want to play fast and loose and give possessions to Pat because that is a sure sure recipe for losing. Uh, Mahomes is wildly efficient, historically efficient in the playoffs. And if you mm-hmm. give him extra possessions, he's getting points. And if you're giving up points, you've got to go get those. And then that puts you under pressure in the position of chasing. And Baltimore does not want to set themselves up to do it. Pat and the Casey offense are going to do a fine job of that all by themselves. They don't need any help. If that play action starts to work, if the run is successful in the way that Baltimore wants it to be on offense, they're going to be able to hold Bolton for a step. And if they do that, then it's Andrews and likely time in behind that because Lamar has been throwing little dimes and dots to those alleys in the middle of the field. And if he's got Andrews, one of his favorite weapons back, He's going to find efficiency if the running game's going really well because it's going to put Bolton in bad conflict. He's going to have to feel like he needs to be coming forward to stop that run or else if he does, damned if you do, damned if you don't, there's a tight end behind you that Lamar can hit. I think they need to get Lamar out on the edge to move him. Um, again, it's to build a numbers game. It's not because he's a running quarterback and you have to run him. That's garbage. Lamar can play excellent efficient football from the pocket it's about building a numbers advantage on the edge and if you move Lamar you can do that you can build overloads just like a defense builds overloads for a blitz an offense can build overloads for a defense where they're going to end up one coverage player short or one guy's in conflict simplifies the read whichever way you choose Lamar can hit the other guy and I think they need to do it again not all the time doesn't need to be the basis of their offense but it needs to be a component gotta have some of that boot action in the game and again If you're playing that off the running game and it's play action to a boot, now you've really got people twisted up. You're making defenders' lives extremely difficult, and that's exactly what Monk and and the Baltimore offense wants to do. Overall, you got to be patient. Not scared, not timid, but patient. Don't miss the chunk 1v1 opportunities when they show up. Mahomes is going to hit his. He didn't get that many against Buffalo. He hit almost all of them. 
Even MVS caught it. <laughs> I know. I was like, now he that's, catches that's why it. The Chiefs are different. <laughs> Such a brilliant ball, but he's been throwing brilliant balls through the middle part of the season, and they weren't catching it. Again, playoffs Chiefs, very different than regular season Chiefs. Baltimore has been doing that all the way along, and Lamar has been doing that. So don't stop now. When you when you get those ISO 101 looks and you think your guy has leverage, Put it up there. I know the Chiefs secondary is incredibly skilled. It doesn't mean you can't take the shots when you got them. But you've got to balance. Is this a shot where I feel like my guy's got a chance to win? Or is this a shot where I'm likely going to be giving the ball back to Pat? And doing that in a split second, again, much easier said than done. But you have to do it. If you play scared, if you go, ah, I'm just going to check it down, you're not going to be able to keep up with the Chiefs in the end. They're too efficient for that. I think... There's kind of a, a, a misconception about <laughs> how vertical this Baltimore offense is, mm. you know, because occasionally we'll see like a deep ball to Odell. Occasionally mm-hmm. we'll see like, you know, Zay hit on a deep cross. They haven't necessarily emphasized it this year, but it doesn't mean they can't do it. It's more so they haven't, they haven't had to, right? But... I think this is the game where we do see them get a lot more, a lot more vertical than we're used to seeing them. But that's mainly because of the types of structures that that Kansas City plays. They are a very quarters-heavy team, especially on early downs. Like they they are not a they are not a team that sits in cover three. In fact, to my recollection, they play the least amount of cover three in the entire NFL. Like they they want to stop the run from two high structures. They want to be able to cut those crossers from quarters. That's why they're very good at stopping crossing routes and why, again, specifically tight ends that run a lot of crossing routes off play action, they don't really get to throw those. Like most tight end routes off play action are either in the flats or screens. Like their average depth of targets like two yards against tight ends off play action. So if anything, Andrews, when they're in the quarters looks, might be more of like a sacrificial lamp, but that plays into their advantage because if you're in those quarter structures and you have Andrews and Likely on the field and Likely's running a seam stop and Andrews running the crossing route and it's play action and, you know, play action's honestly the main advantage of it. It's going to be able to slow down the rush, slow down Chris Jones, slow down all those guys. If you have a safety pinned down by Likely, and the other safety is pinned down, you know, cutting that crossing route to Andrews. That means that it's going to be one-on-one with Zay and or Odell outside. And mm-hmm. yes, those Chiefs corners are great. Legereus has been phenomenal this year, especially as a press corner. He beats the shit out of everybody. But it's not necessarily, like, if you're hitting that deep post against quarters, it's not necessarily about how good is the corner. It's about how good is the quarterback. Because when there is no help in the middle of the field, like no help, because both safeties are pinned down. Like our buddy Coach Vass literally calls this concept, uh, well, offensive guys call it mills, defensive guys call it quarters killer, because that's literally what it is. (laughs) When there's no help in the middle of the field, at that point you're throwing to space and you're throwing the guy open. And it almost doesn't matter who the corner is because they're going to be completely hosed just based on leverage. So... To me, this is the game where we see them get very vertical because the Chiefs call so much quarters. 
and it's it's not a commentary of 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 the quality of Casey's secondary. Casey's secondary is incredible. It's a commentary on the quality of the quarterback to be able to put the ball exactly where he wants it to be to help Zay make those plays, to help Odell make those plays. And when we, you know, all the all the play actions that we're talking about with tight ends, I would say this is more the Isaiah Likely game than anything mm-hmm. else, just because he's so good after the catch and he's gonna have to be good after the catch because I don't think they're going to give Andrews those crossing routes like what we would normally see or the seam routes like what we would normally see. Like, I think it might have to be likely as running stick, catch the ball, make something happen, which, I mean, you were the biggest Isaiah Likely guy I can remember in the draft because he can do that. Like, that was a big factor in your report was like, hey, here's this guy that if they're not giving you anything deep, he can still give you a, a chunk play because of how gifted he is after the catch. That was why you loved him in the first place, and he's been doing that since he got in the league. So I kind of feel like that's going to be a factor here as well. Um, I would say the one last note, you know, you mentioned with the run game, gap scheme, Casey's defense, again, because of all the two high structures they play, a lot of quarters, a lot of cover two, uh, power gets 5.6 yards per carry against them. Pin and pull concepts get 5.8 yards per carry against them. Their explosive run rate on those two concepts are 18% and 28% respectively. This is not the team that you want to go against while being bad against power and pin and pull. So everything you said is spot on in the sense that schematically, if we're talking about how Baltimore runs the ball, how they can take deep shots to Zay, Kansas City's defense is incredible, but schematically speaking, this is not a great matchup for them and Spags is going to have to work some some blood magic here because I don't think they're going to be able to play all the normal stuff they like to play like doesn't mean that they can't call other stuff and be very successful but it might have to be a very different Chiefs defense than we're used to seeing they might have to play a lot of cover three because I I don't see the greatest hits working in this game as well as we're used to seeing and Spags is smart enough. This is not anti-Spags propaganda. Far from it. We both have tremendous respect for him as a DC. I think he's one of the top defensive signal callers in the entire league. So if somebody is able to change it up and not be my way or the highway, it's absolutely Steve Spagnolo. On defense, they're going to have to have controlled blitzes. This is a key. You cannot contain Jackson's explosive runs in the alleys and up the middle if you have guys diving and flailing in his ankles if you have guys running past him and just putting a hand on his shoulder pad and then you're two yards past him Lamar is unique in the league in his ability to exploit those misses there is no other quarterback in the league that can gash you as quickly and as badly if you miss like that. So your rushes have to be controlled. Your blitzes have to be controlled. You have to have really sound gap discipline because if you let him go, he's going to pull stuff like Josh Allen pulled over the last couple of weeks where he's not just going to take 5 or 10 yards or 15 or 25. He might take the whole thing. He might go Mm -hmm. 50. So you have to be tremendously consistent and disciplined. And if you miss... It's just like the flip side. If Baltimore misses on those blitzes, Mahomes, we know, is going to gash them. If you miss on a rush with Lamar, doesn't matter. He's been just as effective through the middle. A lot of people think, oh, he's you know, he's kind of a wiry build. He's super fast. It's all about outside runs. It's not. His most deadly runs are 
right up the middle and right up the alley. Like he'll get just outside the tackle. Somebody will dive past him and that's it. Like there's nobody in front of him for 13 yards and he's going to take all those and a few more. So one way to do that is flood him with bodies. That means he's going to have to make decisions quickly and again, have a lower average depth of target. That's one thing that I imagine we'll see several times from Spagnuolo in different ways. I doubt he'll bring it the same way because in the same way we talked in reverent tones about Pat's ability to recognize blitzes, see them once and know what he's going to do against them the second time. Lamar has a similar ability and again, can hurt you with legs or arms. So if you give that gap and he sees it, he's quick enough to exploit it. Casey defense is going to have to sit on Flowers and Andrews. Just like we talked about Rasheed Rice and Kelsey on the other side being the, the sort of focal points of the Baltimore defense, the focal points of Spagnuolo's unit have to be Flowers and Andrews. Make Isaiah likely beat you. Make OBJ in this current stage of his career be the guy that's the hero. Can he do it? Sure. Make him do it. Right? Mm-hmm. And again, contest those catches. The The secondary for Casey was brutal. And I mean brutal, like brutally efficient brutally painful against buffalo they they hit justin reed was hammering guys on the ground in the alley running crossing routes you got near the ball he was going to punish you he said as much on social media going across the middle has consequences he was going to make it make the refs call him out of that and they didn't so again if you're a baltimore receiver expect to get hit And the last thing for KC defense is stop the middle run to force more outside running because if you're not able to stop the runs we talked about, gap, pin, and pull, interior runs that Baltimore is literally built to be able to churn out, if you can't turn that away, they're not going to do anything else. They're not going to go to their second hand. If they're beating you bloody with the first hand, they're just going to keep doing it. Like Monken is smart enough to just not take his foot off the gas and say, we're getting 5.5 per. We're getting a first down every two runs. Like, let's go. Let's just do this until they have to stop it. Eventually, Spags will have to sell out, either with bodies, uh, you know, defensive packages that are going to, again, give him a little bit less mobility. Then Jackson's free to start exploiting the outside, either himself or through the air. Casey doesn't want that. That's damned if you do, damned if you don't. So that's that's what they have to focus on again much easier said than done because of baltimore's balance because of their talent and that we could say that about both of these offenses and we have we talked about the threat of sitting in quarters and then getting beat by the deep post is a we talked about the threat of the gap runs and there's really only one way that I think KC can play beyond doing something that they never do, which is play cover three all day. There's, in terms of what's what's in their identity that they can do that works against those two things, it's blitz. And then blitz, and then blitz again, and again, and again. Because Zay can't catch the deep post if Lamar doesn't have time to throw the deep post. Yep. They can't run the ball if every single down there's six bodies flying into the backfield. You kind of play the run on the way to the quarterback, honestly. Yes. And interestingly enough, there's not a great coverage answer for Lamar Jackson. And there's not a whole lot of things that you can do against him from a cover. Kind of like with Pat, right? There's not a whole lot that he hasn't seen at this point. You can't really call the same stuff over and over and over against him because he's just going to sit in the pocket and throw darts. But the one thing this year that has worked against Lamar 
is sending six plus rushers, specifically six rushers. You know, we're, we're sending all four defensive linemen plus a nickel, plus a safety, plus insert number of plus, linebackers plus, plus. Here. <laughs> plus, plus, plus. Again, like you said, flooding him with bodies. That's one of the only things that has actually slowed him down. If we're looking at his numbers against four-man rushes, it's 68.7% completion percentage. Adjusted completion, I think, was like 73%. 15 touchdowns, five interceptions, 24 sacks, but more importantly, 51 scrambles, meaning he's getting out of the pocket and he's getting gains at double the rate of taking a sack. 7.4 yards per attempt, 99.6 passer rating. That is highest in the NFL against four-man rushes. Against five-man rushes, slightly lower completion percentage, as you would expect, 64%. Seven touchdowns, no picks, 12 sacks, three scrambles. Okay, we're getting a little bit closer. We're we're taking the the scrambles (laughs) out here. We're getting more sacks. Um, but he did get 10.2 yards per attempt, and he had a 117.8 rating. That's third. Okay. You take away the running, but he's even better as a thrower. That's not ideal. What about six? Let's let's just throw everything at him. Let's see if that is kind of the right mix. That's the, the Goldilocks, so to speak. 55% completion percentage. One touchdown, two picks, only 5.1 yards per attempt, four sacks, three scrambles. Again, taking the scrambles out, we're getting sacks, and only a passer rating of 55.8. That is 34th in the NFL against six-plus man pressures. So I'm not saying it's a great solution. <laughs> like, I'm not saying it's definitely <laughs> going to work. for that. <laughs> I was like, it's a big gun, but if you miss, you only got one bullet. I mean... Again, there's not there's nothing that says he can't spin out of it if you're bringing a guy off the edge and then he kills you anyway. But at that point, whatever, you tip your cap, enjoy the Super Bowl, Lamar. Um, sure. So I'm not saying it's a great solution, but it might be the only one they got. It's better than the alternatives. Yeah, it's better than the alternative, which is sitting in quarters all day and then he throws for 350 yards and you lose no matter what. So it's, I don't know. I I'm I don't really have great answers for either of these quarterbacks. And so no. we're grasping at straws either way. Like both these guys are MVP caliber. Both of them have won MVPs. One's about to probably win his second. So there's not a whole lot you can do, but if there's anything that you might be able to do, it's just send blitzes all day. Yeah, pray for numbers. And again, get home, which is much harder to do on both of these quarterbacks for different reasons. They are not the same athlete. They're not the same player. But their results in those situations where there are high leverage situations, I will say against them. The defense is tilted strongly against them. They both can leverage, as you just pointed out with Lamar, much better results than average. Top five results with four rushers, with five. Okay, at six, it dips, and he gets down to you know below league average. Mahomes the same way. Like, oh, unblocked guy, much bigger than him, much stronger than him. Oh, didn't get him. Huh. And, again, in that sort of... I won't say it because it'll make KC fans really angry. Much like another quarterback we know, that killer, oh, yeah, now you missed. Now I'm going to hurt you bad. 
Oh, like, the I'm bad man you. over in Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. the <laughs> bad man. The KC fans don't want to hear about like very similar results when you miss on either one of these quarterbacks for for very different reasons. But like you said, we're grasping at straws here. Both of these teams, I will say teams, especially now that we've gotten to playoff time, very very dangerous. All that said, who's your pick? I know this is not going to go well for me because we're going to be watching the AFC Championship with our buddies from KCSN. Yes, we are. (laughs) And I keep picking against them this year, and it never goes well for me. But I'm going to do it one more time. (laughs) We'll see. I'm going to pick the Baltimore Ravens. It's so odd that this is the quote-unquote weakest Chiefs team that we've seen in the Mahomes era, and they're still in the AFC Championship game. Yes. But this is also the strongest Ravens team in the Lamar era and they've had some pretty darn strong teams so I think they're more complete than Kansas City I still think there is a path for Kansas City to win obviously uh, and especially when you have playoff Mahomes I mean the guy has an 80% win rate when he's down by seven in the playoffs nobody else is above like 45% that's Tom Brady so like they're not out of it. They're never going to be out of it. But if if I'm just betting on who's the most complete team and oh by the way, they also have an MVP quarterback and a great coaching staff. I kind of have to go Baltimore. Not by a lot, but I got to pick them. Now this game is not going to be a blowout. This game is going to be extremely tightly contested. The reason I didn't write my pick on the sheet is I'm I'm having legit trouble making one, and it's not a waffle. I can see very clear paths for both of these teams to win. The path that I'll lay out for Baltimore is this is easily the most complete Baltimore squad we've seen possibly ever. Yeah, if even if we're going back to 2000 where they had a great right. defense, they, but they didn't they have driven the by the defense, but their offense was terrible. Last time their offense was better, but their defense was still clearly better than that offense. So this is the first time that we get to see a Ravens team fully operational across the board that can hurt you and has hurt opponents all year long, you know, basically taking all comers, come in as the number one seed in a tough AFC and they have excellent coaching balance too. They don't they don't tend to sort of list one way and then the other and overcorrect. They are a balanced football team. And Lamar is playing at an elite level. He should win the MVP. That is an extremely dangerous combination. If you were talking about any other opponent, and that includes the Buffalo team that lost last week, that includes Cincinnati if Burrow is healthy. If you're talking about any other AFC team, I take Baltimore like pretty handily and and sleep like a baby. The path for KC winning is literally Mahomes. Mahomes is, he is so far him at this point that it is not (laughs) even debatable, right? The fact that he is, he's, he's played in the AFC championship game every year he's been in the league. That's, or at least starting, yeah. Ludicrous, yeah. Every year that he's played, that he's been the starter. He's gone to the AFC Championship game. The fact that Buffalo was his first road playoff game ever, ever. And he won it, right? He seems to be able to, and and great athletes do this in all sports. With anybody you want to name is great. MJ, LeBron, Gretzky, like 
they seem to be able to bend those moments in games to their will. It's like, oh, the probability is against him. They're down. Like you said, he's when he's down in games, he wins the vast majority of them. When he has numbers against him, he ends up with a gain, not a loss. Like over and over so consistently that we're like numb to it at this point. It is expected that he is going to do those things. Regardless, this is not the greatest KC team, not even in the last three years. I would say it's one of the weaker Kansas City teams because it is unbalanced. Right up until playoff time, the offense was not pulling its weight. The defense was exceptional. Pat was pat through it all. Like he kept saying, I have faith in these guys. He kept throwing dimes. They kept dropping them. He got frustrated, but his level of play didn't decline. And... It, you know, I bet against him last week because I thought that this was Buffalo's time. I'll say this about Baltimore. If they are ever going to win it against anyone, this is the year, right? Yeah. Quarterback playing at top efficiency, offensive scheming that takes advantage of the very good personnel they do have, and a defense under McDonald that is elite, elite, no matter which way you slice it. At worst, top two in the NFL. Like, they have everything they need. And the only thing, which is a very serious thing standing in their way, is Mahomes going, I just don't lose in these situations. You can throw all your numbers at me. You can say I'm on the road. You can say that Baltimore is a much better and much healthier team than Buffalo, which both of those things are true in my mind. If you put Buffalo and Baltimore on a neutral field right now, Baltimore wins that game, I think, pretty handily, even with Josh. But it's just this nagging thing on my shoulder that's like, you keep saying he's not going to do it. And all he ever does is do it. He doesn't do anything else. So for me, it's an absolute, like, I can't wait to watch it because it's going to be really great football. This is not going to be a 40 to 20 game. I'll lean Baltimore just because I want to see them win it because they are as complete and they've you know, Harbaugh was brave in those changes, even bringing McDonald in when mm-hmm. he did, and certainly bringing Monken in to say, good is not good enough. We need to make changes to get over the hump. They did, and they did, and they're here. I want them to win for that reason. In terms of who I, you know, would I lay money on this game? Not on your life. Not comfortably. Like, not no, comfortably. This, this game is just, you know, you're just throwing it up into the wind at that point and going, I hope it blows one way. This is going to be an excellent football game between two super powerful teams, and I will not be surprised if Baltimore wins it because they're awesome in every phase, and I will not be surprised if Casey wins it because Pat Mahomes. Like, that's it, because Pat Mahomes. He just doesn't lose these games. We'll get back to the show in just a second, but real quick, the job market is crazy right now, and January is hiring season for most companies, including myself, by the way. I literally just hired my first person ever this same week. So oddly enough, this ad read applies to me as well. There is a lot of competition out there to try to hire the best candidates possible for your business. So if you yourself are also a small business owner like me and you need to hire some extra help to get your 2024 started on the right foot, LinkedIn Jobs will help you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster than ever before. There are more than a billion professionals on the LinkedIn network, and 86% of small business owners report getting a qualified candidate to apply to their job postings within 24 hours. So if you are hiring, that is the place to be. You can try posting your available job for free at linkedin.com slash bootleg and see what they can do for you. 
Again, that is linkedin.com slash bootleg to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you again to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Moving over to the NFC side of things, I think we have an equally interesting game with really different strengths. We've got Detroit on the road at San Francisco, a team that both of us predicted would be certainly active in the playoffs and probably ending up in the NFC championship game. Uh, They are there again. They're not the same team that they were before. Um, Detroit certainly is not the team that it's been before pretty much ever. You're talking about going back to the 50s to see this much success in Detroit football. Um, Couldn't be happier for the Detroit fans, but we've really got to get into the games that both of them want to play. We're going to start with the Lions offense as the visitor. If you're the Detroit offense, you're coming into this Ben Johnson in what is probably his uh, farewell performance as the Lions offensive coordinator. (laughs) Likely will get a head coaching job in this round. He's got to use balance to find explosive plays, and Detroit does this better than most teams in the league. Typically, when we talk about explosive plays for other teams, we're talking about passing plays. Detroit uses both the run and the pass to make explosive plays, and that makes them very difficult to defend. And If anything, we need to sort of take our own mea culpa and say, so the Jameer Gibbs thing, um, yeah, worked out. Uh, They're using him to his strength and his draft position. Like he is, you know, what was interesting threat. about it is, is, is the comments at the time where they're like, oh, we had him graded higher than Bijan. And we we're like, you had him graded higher than Bijan. Now that I'm not going to cop to, but in terms of where he landed and how they've used him. We always talk about this in terms of fit and landing spot being super important. Like if you look at second half of the season, Jameer Gibbs, like this is the plan they had for him. And he can create explosive gains on the ground, which means teams can't just tee off on Jared Goff. So it's working out for them. The reason that's important is if you're Detroit, you need to keep Goff clean. Goff clean and under pressure are two completely different players. Clean, he is surgical and deadly and has beat a lot of very good teams. Under pressure, not that guy. You need to try and build shot plays, and Ben Johnson is very good at doing this. One of the reasons he is as sought after in the cycle as he is as an offensive mind is his ability to build and sequence a game plan that basically sets an offense on a course that makes a defense move so he can come in with the other hand and hit a shot play. One of the very best, I would say top five in the league at that right now. Um, One of the reasons he's regarded as such a, such a brilliant offensive mind is that exact quality. I'm going to do this to make you do that. And the guy across the field does the same thing. Kyle Shanahan is probably one of the very best in the league, top in the league at doing that. Ben Johnson, not far behind, and that's a huge credit to a young offensive coordinator. So those shots in particular, I want to see him versus the safeties. The corners are one thing in San Francisco. I want to see those safeties isolated and be the sort of targets or victims of those shot plays. If you're the Lions, that's the setup you want to see. The last thing the Lions are going to want to do is use their breakout rookie star, Sam Laporta, at tight end in combination with the newly signed Zach Ertz. Oh, I love a mercenary playoff ad, don't you? (laughs) Uh, In combination to manipulate coverage, especially on third downs. And if the Lions can lay out that sort of welcome mat, um, they will get to some early points. And I think that's also important for this Detroit team. So I'll I'll kind of work point by point here. Uh, First of all, Jameer Gibbs. Yes, 100% they were correct. And I look like a moron for at the time saying like, you know, if you just move the Brian Branch pick and the Campbell pick and the Gibbs pick around, we love it. Like, And, and that's 
that's the one thing I think I, I, I want to convey to Lions fans. When we were, I didn't want to say poo-pooing the pick, but talking about the process of the pick, it wasn't that we didn't love Gibbs. Like, the Lions drafted a bunch of really good players. Like, we at the time, we even said, that, like, oh, if, if we're just talking about did they add good players, yes, they did. Um, my my one thing was was when they were talking about how they were looking at this as we need to add the finishing pieces to go on a run. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, I don't know if we're quite there yet of like doing the running back as like this is what we need to finally do it. I was like, I don't know. I could still use some corners. We could still use some <laughs> defensive linemen here. Like uh, maybe wait another year before we do that little finishing piece. And where I was wrong was that no yeah they were there they were at that point where it's like we need the finishing piece fuck it take a running back and so i underestimated how far along in the process they were in terms of building a championship contending roster and i say that fully acknowledging that i also picked them to be in the nfc championship game uh, back in august but i still thought like oh maybe it's a little early for the first round running back pick no, it wasn't. Like, Jameer nope. Gibbs is a huge factor in why they're there. So, they were right. I was wrong. They were ready for it. All that being said, in terms of the schematic stuff, you know, Laporta, another rookie, who they definitely got a lot more right than I did. I didn't see that with Laporta. Not that I didn't think that he was a good prospect. I didn't think he was going to be this as a rookie. Like, athletically, I was like, he could get there eventually. I didn't see it now. They saw it now. Hell, even Iowa didn't see it now. <laughs> they, they <laughs> well, Iowa never like sees it with their own tight ends. <laughs> but honestly, if Laporta had had half the season he's had, I would have thought that was really good. Yeah, That was great. And he's doubled that, which, again, wasn't in either of our roundhouses on Laporta. So, again, credit to them. Like They, they are a phenomenal front office because they can just see things that I, I just don't. I just don't see it, and they saw it, and they got it, um, and so they're very, very good. And I'm, I'm probably never going to question another one of their picks ever again. Um, <laughs> but back to him, how they can kind of use him to dictate coverage, um, specifically on third down, like you mentioned, the 49ers are only slightly above average in man coverage on third down. It's like 13th most. It's, it, I think it would be imperative if they use Laporta early on to force them into man coverage. And by that, I mean target him early, target him often, make it very clear that you can't cover him. Make it very clear that just putting Fred on him alone isn't going to be enough. And I love Fred. Fred's the best linebacker in the NFL. But nobody's been able to cover Laporta one-on-one. Linebacker, safety, corner, nobody's been able to do it this year. So... Yeah, if they're going to send Fred over to handle Laporta, make it very clear that that's not enough. I mean, give him choice routes all day. Make it punishing to play him head up. And you can do that for probably the first quarter until you get into third third downs in the second quarter, and you're going to start to see Fred with help. You're going to start to see safeties with help. And that's when you get him. If you can dictate the help going to Laporta, that means that they're not going to be helping against Amon Ra. That means they're not going to be helping against JMO. And even if it gets to the point where they do a similar thing to what we talked about earlier, where they're calling zero double, meaning they're calling zero 
and they're doubling both Amon Ra and Laporta. Still with a four-man rush, but they're allocating two double teams, specifically those two guys. Guess what? If protection's holding up with that offensive line and gets a four-man rush where the tackles of Decker and Penne are honestly a wash for Bosa and Chase Young, like we think we can we can handle that. And then we got three against two inside, and there's no help against Williams over the top. Like that's where you can get them on third down, is you establish early, like, hey, you can't cover our guys on choice routes. You bait them into doubling them, and then you went over the top with JMO. It might only take one ball, honestly, to break that game open. But if there's anybody that can do it in one ball, it's Jameson Williams. Um, I would also say the 49ers uh, in between the 20s on early downs are a fairly, I don't want to say predictable, but they do what they do. They sit in a too high safety structure, and either they stay in quarters or they roll down to cover three. And they kind of do that pretty much the whole time. So you can predict how they're going to fit the run. You can predict how the coverage is going to play out. And I would say Ben Johnson is going to build his run game around that predictability because he knows he's going to see one of two things on early downs. So that's what I would do on early downs. Third down, feature Laporta early with the sole intention of trying to get that knockout blow to JMO later in the game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they rotate uh, Amon Ra into the Laporta role later in the game. Not to start it off, start with that heavy sort of put the high heat on with Laporta. And then when you start to see those coverage changes, that means, again, can't double everybody. And if they sort of lose focus on Amon Ra and, and, you know, Ben Johnson seamlessly switches tracks, uh, he can keep that offense rolling. So in terms of the San Francisco defense, if you're looking at stopping this offense, you got to get to golf. Like, I don't care how. Like, you got to get hands on him. You got to move him off his spot. If you do, you will succeed. If you don't, he will pick you apart. It is absolutely night and day. So Jared Goff, particularly successful against the Blitz in the fourth quarter, just because you send guys doesn't mean he can't handle it. Um, In terms of the first three quarters completion, he was six for 14 in the fourth quarter, six of seven. Pass yards, first three quarters, only 58. Fourth quarter, 74 alone. Mm-hmm. Yards per attempt, 4.1 in the first three, 10.6 in the fourth. So you're talking about a clutch performer against the Blitz. Goff is as clutch as they get, even though he is not the same type of quarterback as Mahomes or Lamar or Josh Allen or the people we've been talking about this episode. He does it in a different way. Doesn't mean he doesn't do it. He can put the knife in you. That's what's fascinating is when when I picked against Detroit in the last round, it was because of of the type of numbers that we saw in the first three quarters. Like he wasn't actually like that good against the Blitz. If we're looking at like the sample size of the entire season, the numbers were kind of reflective of the first three quarters. And then all of a sudden, fourth quarter Goff went out there and just massacred them. So if that's the Goff that we're going to see in this game, the golf that can handle the blitz at a remarkably high clip, then I don't know what you do at that point. Then then, it, <laughs> then we start talking about golf like we do with the other guys in the AFC where it's like, I don't know, fuck it. Like, no plan's going to really be good. But I, I think San Francisco is going to test it early. 
of like mm-hmm. send pressure and see if we're going to get the first three quarter golf or the fourth quarter golf and then go from there. And if they can force mistakes when they do that, and they're certainly capable with the players they have in their front seven of doing that, if they get some of those early turnovers, mistakes, kill some drives, and you know put the put the ball back in their offense's hands, that could be successful. So it's not just that oh, just wait till the fourth quarter and get good, kid. Like they have to maintain some consistency, and he has to bring he has to bleed some of that into the first three quarters of the game. He can't just wait. If they do might be out of reach by the time they get there. San Francisco's defensive focus, we talked about Gibbs and how important he is. If you're going to limit him, you've got to limit the explosives. He's still going to be efficient. He's still going to get his yards. That's okay. Let him get his carries. Five and six yards a carry, if you can knock him down to that, that's not going to kill you. Like all game long, you're going to be able to control that. But if you start tripping off 12 and 18 and some of those chunk runs that he gets when he gets to the seam, gets a blocker, and then you see that burst, that can kill you. So again, if you're going to limit his runs, limit the explosion that he gets on them. Concentrate on Laporta. We talked about how important Laporta can be to Detroit's strategy, but do it with a variety of players. Because like you said, if they just roll Fred up there by himself, Fred's great, but Laporta's going to beat him a few times. So roll it with Fred giving way to one of the safeties roll it to Fred in combination with one of the corners that drops off in a cloud, like do things to make sure that Laporta is going to see different looks, different coverage, different players so that he too is not going to be like, Hey, they've just got Warner on. This sounds so stupid to say they've just got Warner on me. <laughs> they just have an all pro linebacker. They, on they just have the best linebacker in the NFL on me. But honestly, if that's all you're going to do, most of the players that are left in these games are good enough to exploit it if you do something over and over again. So we'll see if that like variation comes in because like you said, San Francisco can be, I don't want to say predictable, but they, they are going to do things in sequence. And if they do things in sequence and your offense works against it, then maybe they break out of sequence. I'd like to see them break out of that sequence a little bit earlier in this game and try and force the the Detroit offense away from Laporta early on. And we talked a little bit about Amon Ross St. Brown, but we're going to talk about him more because we need to. He's been the glue that's kept this offense together all year long and really for the last couple of years. He's going to get his catches. Like, that. that's just a fact. I don't care what you do against Amon Ross St. Brown. Everybody's tried everything. That guy's going to get catches. What you can't allow him as the San Francisco defense is yak. And in fact, give him a catch before you give any yards after the catch. So if that means, hey, maybe not gambling to put your hand in there and try and break it up, let him get the catch, make a sure tackle right where he caught it. Because a lot of catches, high volume of catches to Amon Ross St. Brown, probably not going to beat you. High ratio of yak, could. So let him catch it, but don't let him go anywhere. And San Francisco is a good tackling defense. Uh, They tackle very well. They can do that, but it's going to have to be in the mind of the defenders. Do I gamble to, like, no. Don't gamble. Let him catch it. Make the sure tackle. Because if he ends up with 9, 10, 11 catches, but like a very low percentage of yards and yak, I don't think that moves the needle for Detroit. Yeah, it's a question of, okay, are are we going to give them a bunch of third and short opportunities because Amon Ra is making a bunch of catches on second down to give them those opportunities for like 7, 8 yards a pop? Or do we want to give him a 30-yard chunk play that all of a sudden puts them into scoring position? Like, if we're talking about, like, EPA, you know, expected points added. Like, chunk plays are 
the lifeblood of football. Yep. <laughs> like chunk plays that flip the field, that get you into field goal range instantly, that that set you up in the red zone. Like if you can go from your own 45 to their 25 in one play because you gambled and you didn't tackle Amon Ra and he caught it on the run and he made another guy miss in space and all this. Like, again, each of these teams might only get nine possessions in this game. Mm-hmm. Don't let Amon Ra turn three of those into scoring possessions all by himself. Like it's no. it's something that I feel like people have forgotten a lot about this year. Of hey, he's not just Julian Edelman. Like no. he's Julian Edelman with extra gas. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's what he is, man. Um, I also want to. I, I forgot to mention. You know, we were talking about okay, how can how can Detroit help their guards that's something that they're going to focus on a lot in this game of how can we how can we help our guards because we've taken a lot of injuries on the inside this year i don't even know how Ragnow even finished the game oh that was painful to watch man he was just every series he was like getting up limping on one leg everybody's like holding him up he's like i got it (laughs) (laughs) you just know man you know he was hurting Absolute it's, it's amazing. It's amazing yeah. that he finished that game, but he got banged up. Jonah got banged. Like they've just had so much turnover on the inside this year. And that's led to them being a not great pass blocking unit inside, yeah. specifically at the guard positions. That's why I put Cancy on my entry last week. There was a scorcher, like a, a times two multiplier for Cancy getting a sack. And I was like, well, that's fucking free money. And then he, he <laughs> got one almost yep. instantly. Because, A, their guards, even when healthy, haven't been great at pass blocking, let alone when they're banged up, and they're still banged up. So Detroit wants to help their guards. San Francisco wants to make sure they can't help their guards. Like we said, Bosa against Sewell. Okay, even matchup. Cool. Bosa's not going to feast on Penny Sewell. Penny might get beat a couple times, but he ain't going to get beat like a drum. And Decker against Chase Young, again, even matchup, I would even maybe favor Decker in that one. So I don't think the the 49ers edges are going to be the game-breaking pass rushers in this game just because the Detroit tackles are so good. But if we're looking at the interior pass rush, number one objective for the Niners is give us the same one-on-ones that Cansey was getting when Bowles was blitzing over and over and over again and, and forcing these guards to survive out on an island. That means lining up Fred over the center, lining up Greenlaw over the center, threatening, you know, um, you know, threatening to bring somebody off like a, a nickel off the edge on the other side so that they have to respond with a slide and then have the other two guys locked, which means, okay, we got Nick on an island. We got uh, Hargrave on an island against insert Lions guard here. Like you use blitzes, not necessarily to get a free rusher against golf. You use blitzes to give the one-on-ones necessary to get interior pressure against Goff. That's how you end up affecting him in this game. The 49ers do not blitz that much, only about a 20% blitz rate, third lowest in the NFL. If there was ever a game to ramp that up and to basically let their inner Brian Flores flourish, it's this game. Because it might be the only thing that can really hamper this offense is just the pocket continuously getting collapsed inside over and over and over again because the guards have to survive by themselves and they can't do it yeah it's 
you talk about overloads and I, if I'm Steve Wilkes and the 49ers, I want to make sure that I get overloads on the guards. I want to see Nick Bosa going against the guards like by himself with a clean one-on-one shot against pick your guard. I don't care. Like I want to see that matchup once a quarter at least if not more uh i also want to see some simulated pressures where you've got that linebacker on the other side of the center so you're pulling the center to say his right the defense is left and you're basically running a a te type stunt and you've got a guy that's standing there at the corner like mugging you know it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to come but then you got to pick your poison you're you got to go one way or another and it's almost like an rpo for the defense it's like, however you react to this, however you slide to this, however you bring the back and like, we've got an answer. Like as soon as that guy sees that he's the guy that's been targeted for a block, drop back, right? And you're still going to be short numbers again on the interior. So every way they can pry that Detroit line apart from the inside is going to benefit the Niners defense. Now, when we pivot to the Niners offense, they too are going to be trying to pry apart a defense on their own. Key for that is CMC. CMC is the straw that stirs the drink in San Francisco on the ground and in the screen game. Either way, he's been incredibly effective down the stretch. He's playing as well as he has in years. And I don't want to say as he goes, so go the Niners because they have so much other talent on that offense. But if he gets rolling, it's kind of the same thing we talked about in the last game where if Baltimore can establish a middle run, and Casey can't stop it. They're just going to keep doing it. If San Francisco can establish CNC on the ground or on the outside, I don't care. If he's getting yards either way, they're they're pretty agnostic about that. They don't really care whether it comes through the air or comes on the ground. If you can't stop CNC and he's ripping off six to eight yards per touch, let's just say touch and keep it above board, they're probably going to win this game. Detroit's going to have to buckle down and say, we're going to deny you one or the other of those. I want to see at least one shot to Ayuk in every quarter. San Francisco has been below that in terms of average of shot plays, not necessarily targets. Don't just look at targets and yell at me in the comments. Some of those targets have been hooks, stops, you know, ins, outs, the middle route of flood, whatever you want to call it. Like get, get shots down the field against these corners to Ayuk. Get him isolated one-on-one and specifically go against the corners. I said the other way I wanted to see shots against the safeties, I want to see shots against the corners here with Ayuk, one-on-one. If I'm, if I'm Kyle, I, I want to scheme that up at least four times in this game. Even if I don't get to throw it four times, I want to see clean shots of Ayuk beating those corners one-on-one because he can do it. And talk about flipping the field and explosive plays and increasing the chance for points. If they start hitting the long ball to Ayuk, you're really in trouble because they really didn't hit it at all in the last game and they still ended up winning because again they have lots of weapons they're multiple they're versatile but if you get that what are you going to do at that point yeah that's that's a very bad place for detroit to end up so put them force them to be there and make plays to stop it try not to forget that kittle exists as a receiver like i know you love him as a blocker i know you love him as a rampaging yak threat off you know two year goes but whenever you throw him the ball with the exception of the one bad drop in the last game like good things really happen like he he manages to run over three guys and pick up you know 12 15 extra yards he scores touchdowns in the red zone like don't forget about that guy i realize that he's probably third maybe fourth in the pecking order if debo's playing we haven't even talked about that yet, but just don't forget that George Kittle, your all pro tight end is sitting right there. 
especially in the red zone. Like that's like 40% yeah. of his career touchdowns are just with Brock Purdy in the last two he's, years. I know he's money in the red zone and, and get him. I hate to say this, but get him isolated against Derek Barnes. Derek Barnes, the hero of last week's game, got his first interception at any level in college or the pros that interception. He got to steal the game. First INT he's ever gotten. So he is not the athletic equal of Kittle. Yeah. Like, no, that is, that is a mismatch. So when we talk about how you want to manipulate Laporto on linebackers, like get Kittle on Barnes, find ways to make that happen. And Kyle is tremendous at using motion, using formation, using alignment, using personnel to manipulate where and how the defense is going to show up, manipulate that matchup into reality. If you do, you're going to give yourself options and change up. Run some pin and pulls. Uh, use Mitchell as a changeup. Not the outside run, not OZ, but we haven't seen a lot of Elijah Mitchell. Like, again, CMC's been on such a tear. They, for the most part, haven't needed to. He's been, I don't even want to say a change of pace back. He's been a, like, get a couple of breaths on the sidelines. And then CMC's coming back in back. Um, I'd like to see him get opportunities. He's super talented, but don't get to the outside run in this one. You'll talk about numbers as why that is not necessarily the ideal matchup. And then the last one, uh, I talked about it in the first game. Don't get cute. Don't play scared. Don't do what you did at the end of the first half, Kyle. Please don't do that. Um, I think it was Robert Mays that put out a tweet that said, you know, if I'd created an offensive threshing death machine, I think I would just try and score touchdowns. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, keep your foot on the gas. Good things happen. Just like when they throw to Kittle, good things happen for the San Francisco offense when they keep their foot down. And that doesn't mean high risk plays for Purdy far from it. You've got all these weapons, but don't just go, Oh, we just need three yards. Oh, we want the left hash for a field goal. It's, it's so much worse than that. They were at midfield with a minute 30 left and three, (laughs) three timeouts still remaining. And they're like, yeah, we're going to play for a field goal. Like, what are we doing? It's the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah, the announcers are like, oh, you might turn it back over to them and they might score points. I'm like, what if you score a touchdown? You're <laughs> thoroughly capable of scoring a touchdown. Keep on it. So my uh, you know, my forecast or my my plea, I guess, for Kyle Shanahan is be merciless. Like, do not let up. Even if Debo doesn't play, you still have a plethora of weapons. And not to mention a great scheming offensive mind to pivot for to react to however that defense shuts you down if they manage to shut down the cmc run great get the shots outside to Ayuk. throw some to kittle loosen them up use mitchell as a change of pace like you have all these options just don't take your foot off the gas please 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 it's the one thing that has plagued kyle throughout his career is when everything's going well he's as aggressive as anybody but Anytime, anytime there's, I don't want to say a high pressure situation, but it does, it does tend to be a high pressure situation. <laughs> he gets conservative. Like the, the, the conservatism at, at the end of half situations, the conservatism in playoff games, it's the one thing that really bothers me. And it, it's not like Mike McCarthy status. Like Mike McCarthy will just forget completely how to <laughs> how to play situational football like it's it's not that it's not to that level but Shanahan McVeigh like a lot of guys that, that come from that ecosystem for whatever reason will just completely 
misuse timeouts. They will get way too conservative when they need to put their foot on the gas. And I don't know what it is. I, I really don't know what it is. Boy, they can design an offense. They can call an offense. They can elevate skill position players. They can elevate quarterbacks. They can generate MVP seasons for guys that you would never expect it. But when there's a minute and a half left in the half and they have three timeouts, like you're, 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 you're almost like watching from around the corner. It's like, are they going to do this correctly? You know, it's, I don't know. It's so odd that like that is apparently the weakness, but it is. You know what it reminds me of, or it makes me think of, it doesn't remind me of it. It's, it's kind of the opposite, but it it brings it in. I, I keep thinking of it when this happens and, you know, watch a lot of interviews with special forces guys and they'll say, look, I might not be the strongest. I might not have the best plan. I might not have numbers, all the things that a football coach might say, but guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to decide and then I'm going to go balls to the wall. I'm going to like, we're going to commit, we're going to agree, and then we are going to go and we're not going to sit there. We are not going to hesitate. The old saying of he who hesitates is lost. Like Mm -hmm. we're going to pick it and we're going to go flat out we might mash our faces into the wall doing it it's not going to be the prettiest it's not going to be the best planned doesn't matter that's how we're going to win and that's across all branches and all services they're like we are gonna we're gonna be decisive and then we are gonna go 100 percent maximum effort and that's the way we're gonna get it done and it feels like that's kind of where kyle falters he's like wait 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 if this happens and that is like no no you got 30 seconds pick a plan run them over Hit him in the mouth. You can do it. Just don't stop. Uh, schematically speaking, you know, beyond the whole Kyle Shanahan of it all, and again, I love Kyle. He's a great coach. It's just the one thing that he struggles with. But beyond the Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan of it all, if we're just talking about scheme uh, and if we're talking about numbers and, and matchups. So the Lions corners, to your point, have allowed the eighth worst EPA per play in single coverage in the entire NFL this year. And they have the yeah. seventh worst force incompletion rate. They don't really force incomplete balls and they give up chunk plays like you wouldn't believe. Um, and also here's the kicker in single coverage. They also have the second highest passer rating allowed only behind the Eagles, which of course had a banner year defensively. It's about 103 passer rating. So yes, scheme up shots to Ayuk. Do it once a quarter. Even if you don't hit all of them, you at least got to do it. You got to remind them that they can't cover him. Uh, Because even if you don't get the throw off, because let's say Aiden Hutchinson beats McDivitz or whatever for the 10th time that day. If the coordinator sees, hey, my guys can't handle him, he's going to change coverages. Like he's going to. He's going to be forced into calling his defense differently if he knows that his guys can't hold up. So you at least got to remind them, like, hey, you have no shot here. Um, I would also say in the run game, you know, you mentioned the pin and pull concepts. Beyond just doing it with Mitchell, who pretty much never gets carries these days, not because he can't do it, but just because Christian gets 99% of the snaps. Um, but beyond doing it with Mitchell, I'd also, I would also do it with CMC. You know, Detroit allows 5.8 yards per carry against pin and pull concepts, which is the only concept that they've allowed more than four yards per carry. Everything else is like three point something, two point something. Uh, they also have a 22% explosive rate against pin and pulls. So you're not really going to be able to run inside on them. You're not really going to be able to get the, the outside zone game going against them because they only allow like three and a half yards per carry against outside zone 
I worry all you're going to be able to do is is pin and pulls at least effectively, but they they, they got to call at least a few of them because other than that, I'm not sure they'll be able to really get explosives on the ground there. It is an interesting question of strength versus scheme and number of times they've seen it and you know whether or not you do it just to do it even if the numbers say you know that's where the script I think is going to be really key for for both offensive play callers is like hey they've been great against this all year but we're us we're going to see if we can do it and the answer is either going to be nope cross that one off make sure it leaves the play sheet or hey I don't know that worked we'll save you know a variation for that later in the game so we move to the Detroit defense and talk about how they stop this very powerful San Francisco offense. Big question for the Detroit defense in how they play is whether or not Debo will play. And we we tiptoed around that in the San Francisco offensive section. Some massive implications. Uh, you know, if Debo's on the field, the San Francisco offense gets a yard more per play than when he's not on the field. Which seems like a fake stat, but it's completely, completely real. Completely, but it's it's a Debo stat and Debo seems like a fake player. He seems like a creative player sometimes. So, you know, I guess it matches up. Um, you got to pressure Purdy uh, a little bit different than Goff. Like Purdy responds to pressure differently than Goff does. And he also athletically is a little bit different than Goff. Not terribly, but um, he is not as good against pressure. He is not nails against pressure. He is good but not as good. So if you want to reduce his effectiveness, and that's what this is all about, is increasing your chance to win, you've got to get some rushes where you're able to move Purdy off the spot. Really want to see Hutch going against McKivitz. Like we talked about Bosa versus either of Detroit's guards. When you flip it around, it's Hutch against McKivitz. Like find the matchup. Aaron Glenn's got to find his matchups and his lineups that allow that one-on-one to happen because I I said I wouldn't put my money on the last game I would put money on Hutch beating the Kivitz most times like I oh, think yeah. that is a winning proposition in terms of if you're betting on that to happen got to be gap sound versus CMC because if you're not he's explosive and he's going to create the explosives for the San Francisco offense you can't allow that we talked about all the ways that the Detroit offense is trying to get explosives the Detroit defense has got to start with CMC because if they're not able to stop that they're just going to see a steady diet of it like Shanahan's not going to get particularly flowery if he's getting six or seven yards per CMC touch he's just going to keep giving CMC touches he's proved he'll do that and you got to fight through wide receiver blocks to limit explosive runs. The San Francisco wide receivers block their ass off, all of them. Ayuk, mm-hmm. Jennings, Debo, if he's playing. Obviously, you can consider you know the tight ends, wide receivers too. Both of their tight ends that play a lot block extremely well. If you don't fight through the blocks, if your corners make business decisions out on the edge, you're going to get ravaged versus the 49ers run. So everybody's got to fight through their blocks. Everybody's got to rally to the ball because the first guy to the ball carrier is not always going to get him down. This is a very good yak team. A lot of it's built on yards after contact. And it's not just yards after catch, it's yards after contact. So got to make sure there's other tacklers there to limit those gains or you can give up big plays and it can really tilt the field pretty quickly. Again, playoff football, everybody's tight. Everybody wants to limit opportunities. You give up a 75-yard catch and run. You give up a 50-yard CMC burst up the middle because he breaks two tackles. It can tilt the game pretty quickly in their favor. I'm going to say this one. This is this is my own little insert here. When it's third down, find Juwan Jennings. 
Yeah. Like, just find him. It's like, how often do you see this this San Francisco offense get into third and long? And it's like, oh, got to cover CMC, got to cover. And Juwan Jennings is the guy. It's twice converts. a game, but it's like the two most important third downs of the game are going to be Juwan Jennings. If you're in third and long, specifically third and long, if it's third and short, I'm not so worried about it. But if it's third and five or more, find Juwan Jennings. Get one of your better. Put Brian Branch on him. Like, because you know the chances that they're going to go to Juwan Jennings are pretty darn high. Last thing is rally and tackle Kittle um, for the two to three receptions that Kyle's going to throw him. He's probably not going to throw him more than that, despite my protestations. You got, you can't let that guy, you know, high knee and break through tackles. If he, he loves doing it, like it charges him up, and he's very effective at it. So again gotta get gotta get off your block gotta rally and tackle specifically for Kittle once he gets if he gets it and he breaks one he's the kind of guy that can go because he's athletically gifted he's faster than you think he is he's stronger than you think he is and loves contact that guy will stay in bounds you know lower shoulder pad and try and run somebody over and then just smile and flipping the ball he likes that sort of thing you can't let him get away with it um, a little bit like Amon Ross St. Brown totally different physical profile but same thing let him get the catch if they throw it to him. They're not going to throw it to him that often, but don't let him get 25, 30 yards after the catch because you didn't bring him down. When we're talking about uh, McKivitz versus Hutch, which you brought up. So McKivitz, statistically speaking, and also if you just have eyes, uh, is their worst <laughs> pass protector. Like, by, by a bunch. He's allowed the most pressure on that line at 49 pressures, including nine sacks. Um I just I don't I don't trust him against Hutch at all. Like I really don't. And Hutch lines up over there against the right tackle the majority of the time. So if they get into third and long, like yes, the Juwan Jennings show is what's expected. Um, but it's also the Hutch show that I expect too. Like he's going to be in Purdy's grill because I just don't think they can pass protect. Everybody except Trent honestly struggles at pass protection on that line, and McKivitz has been has been the worst. Like, this is not the game that you want to go against a a top five by pressure volume edge rusher in the NFL this year. Um, I would also say um, against 21 personnel and 12 personnel, which Detroit will see quite a lot. Um, early on in the year, you would see a bunch of four-man surfaces, like traditional 4-3 looks, right? Like four-man surface, three linebackers on the second level. You know, sometimes it'd be too high. Sometimes they drop a guy down, so it's eight in the box. But generally, you had uh, a bunch of guys off the line of scrimmage, and they would flow to the ball and uh, and try to try to fit it from depth. Um, but they they kept guys off. They didn't do a five man service because they wanted to have depth as a starting place so that they could get back into into coverage against play action. Became very apparent early on in the year they needed the fifth guy on the line of scrimmage against heavier personnel groups, I should say. So again, against a wing look with two tight ends, against, you know, uh, a, an I formation or, or, you know, strong formation, anything like that with a fullback on the field. Like they needed that fifth guy on the line of scrimmage. And then all of a sudden they got way better against the run when they did that, when they realized that they couldn't just rely on their linebackers. And I like their linebackers, but they couldn't just rely on them to go beat up guards and get off the blocks and, and still get to line. Like they needed bodies on the line of scrimmage to 
kind of gum everything up and keep their linebackers free. So when they switch from four-man surfaces in base to five-man surfaces in base and playing a lot more bare fronts, a lot more tight fronts, all that kind of stuff, they got way better against the run, specifically against zone runs, which is why they're at three and a half yards per carry allowed against outside zone. So all that to say, I would expect we see a lot of bare front in this game, like a lot of bare front. And against bare front, you're going to see all the pin and pull stuff. You're going to see counter. You're going to see some of the only concepts that actually give the Lions trouble. And at that point, in those probably five to six carries of those specific concepts that we see on average, those five to six plays of, hey, this is the service we're, we're being presented. This is the call. On paper, it should work. Let's see if they execute. Those five to six rushing attempts from San Francisco against these specific looks from Detroit, against this personnel grouping, from that personnel grouping, that might be the difference. Because if they hit those explosives, again, 22% explosive rate. So if they're calling five, on average, one of them is going to be an explosive. If they get that explosive and flip the field and turn a dud possession into a scoring possession, that one run might literally be the difference in the game. So I know it sounds so pedantic. <laughs> like, oh, let's watch for this five runs against this one specific look. But I, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be in the middle of the second quarter. You're going to see that bare front. They're going to call a pin and pull. If CMC breaks it for 40, by the time we get to the fourth quarter, when it's a three-point game, you're going to think back to that run and be like, oh, that was kind of important. So... Keep an eye out for it. Pay attention to the fronts that Detroit's lining up in against these heavier personnel groupings because eventually Kyle's going to turn to those concepts. He's going to turn to pin and pull. He's going to turn to counter. And if the Lions still stop it, they're probably going to win the game. With all that in the books, which is a lot, <laughs> because we have now gone top to bottom on four teams that are you know going to make up this year's Super Bowl participants. Who you got? Lions on the road for the first time in the playoffs. I'm going to say Detroit. I'm not going to feel great about it because I don't feel great about picking <laughs> against the Niners ever. I'm going to say Detroit because when it comes down to it, every time I say, and this is really more of a larger point about, about the Lions, every time I say, I don't get it, every time I say, I'm not sure this is going to work, Every time I say they can't do this, they're bad at that. This is a bad matchup for them. This is going to give them problems. You know what they do? Fuck you, Brett. We win anyway. Yeah. Like they, they are the ultimate. We're going to give you the double birds. We're going to, we're going to gnaw your kneecap off. We're going to mm -hmm. take a punch, but we're going to hit back harder. We're going to do stuff that doesn't make sense. We're going to do stuff that hasn't been done all year. And it works. I, I go into last game saying, like, I don't know, man. They're not really good against the Blitz. And it was true. First three quarters, they weren't really good against the Blitz. And then Jared Goff came out and did uh, something that he hasn't done a whole lot, which is be yep. perfect against the Blitz and win the game. He won the game in the fourth quarter by taking over against a very pressure-heavy defense. And at this point, it's been months and months and months of this, watching this season, watching this team. And again, I, I, I fully acknowledge the irony because I picked them to be in the NFC Championship. 
back in August. So I fully acknowledge the irony of like me being the guy that doubted Detroit. I'm done doubting, man, because every time I do it, they flip me off and they say, watch us. So I'm done picking against the Lions. If if this ends up being the week they lose, so be it. But at this point, I would rather go down with that ship because every time I've jumped early, they've proven me wrong. It sounds like me with Kansas City in the playoffs, right? Anytime. Like, I even said it in last week's episode. I said, I feel like betting against Mahomes is a sacrilege. And he was like, you know what, EJ? You're right. Because even though we didn't have a perfect game, things still went right for us in our very first road playoff game. Last week, however, I did. I pivoted a week earlier than you did on the Lions. I was like, nope, I believe. Lions at home with that crowd behind them. I think the Lions win that game. The Lions did win that game. They feel a little bit like a team of destiny. They are going on the road. I think it would be a bigger advantage for Detroit if they were playing this in Detroit than it is for San Francisco playing it in Santa Clara. Um, Brock Purdy has to be better through the early part of the game. He was abysmal. We talk about you know how, how poorly golf played or how not great golf played for the first three quarters. Like Brock Purdy played pretty darn poorly. Um, for the first three quarters. And they had one drive. He literally had one drive and he did the same thing. He won the game. So we're looking at two quarterbacks that did the same thing. Goff did it for the entire fourth quarter. Purdy only really did it for the final drive. If Purdy comes out like that, San Francisco, despite all the platitudes we just showered them with, will lose this game because Dan Campbell's Lions will drive them into the turf. I'm going to say Shanahan gets over the hump here. Like I said that if this team came in uninjured and they largely are they've had injuries but you know not nearly as many as the Lions. and the big pieces are all still there Debo is a huge piece not discounting that if he's out with that shoulder it does change the game for them but in in general this is a healthy San Francisco team especially compared to what happened to them last year if Purdy comes out at home plays just the way he's played this year not crazy above that or anything else hits a couple of those shots I think Shanahan gets this team over the hump and he is he's sort of the shadow Kansas City right San Francisco Mm -hmm. has been so good and gotten so close so many times and everybody forgets that they just basically have crushed people for the last two years I think I think they do it I think San Francisco gets over I don't feel great about it this feels like a close game I you know the closet fan in me wants again the Lions to win this game because, like I said, team of destiny. Their fans have been tremendous. They've been tremendous as a football team. This isn't just a feel-good story. Like it's been a fun football story. So I hope the Lions win it, but I think the Niners get this one over on Detroit at their home place, end up representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. I think uh from a storyline perspective, I think America wants to see uh, Baltimore, Detroit, because they want to see, you know, Lamar deliver on that promise he made on draft night. They want to see, you know, Detroit ascend and, and especially make up for the Pistons this year. They want to, they want to see that. Um, now, are we going to get that or are we going to get the two evil empires clashing in the Super Bowl? Who knows? Uh, I know what I'm rooting for. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a rooting interest. There's heart and head here. Now, I'm just going to mention this. Are you familiar with the uh, the the Super Bowl logo uh, 
conspiracy theory. Oh, the superstition about the the colors that the colors which are put out well before the Super Bowl matchups uh, are, I was going to say, are announced, but are figured out on the field <laughs> through football. Um, and that, yes, for the last three Super Bowls, I believe, the colors have represented the two teams that end up in the Super Bowl. And beyond that, the color of the logo text at the mm-hmm. bottom has indicated the winner. So just saying... The colors on this year's logo are, and this is not why I made the pick, um, but my wife reminded me of this. She was like, "Are you? did you hear about this? I was like, oh, yeah, I heard about that last year, but hadn't been on my mind. The colors for this year's Super Bowl logo are red and purple, which in this case would be 49ers Ravens, and the text is purple. So take that so i guess we don't have to do the super bowl preview show we could just leave it at that well if if we end up with the predictions that i made which is baltimore beats kansas city and that the niners beat the lions again both in narrow games that would again for i think the fourth year in a row match up with the super bowl uh logo colors and for all those folks Tom Grassi included that say the NFL is scripted. No, I'm not saying that Tom says that. <laughs> he puts out, for those of you not familiar with Tom's work, he puts out a, a gag video every week that said if the NFL was scripted. Um, it would match up, but uh, that would make for a very interesting Super Bowl. Honestly, any of these four teams, you know, competing against each other from from either side, they're all good teams. We just spent an hour and, you know, 40 minutes talking about how great these teams are and and what a good representation they are of football. We're not going to get any dogs here. There are no sort of Cinderella's that just shouldn't be here that are going to get wiped out. These are four good, solid, well-coached football teams that are going to put up good games the rest of the way. I'm looking forward to this weekend uh, and eventually to the Super Bowl that we will do a Super Bowl preview episode. So please let us know in the comments whether or not you like this format, um, whether or not you like the length, the, the layout, what we talked about, how we talked about it. Uh, it's new for us and we're doing it because we think it'll be a good experience for all of you. So let us know if we hit the mark or missed completely. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, EJ and I will both be in Frisco at the Cowboys facility. Uh, they are not using it to prepare for games this weekend, obviously, but it, it is where they're hosting the Shrine Bowl this year. So we'll be in Texas by the time this comes out, uh, watching the championship games this weekend, probably with some draft prospects in the room with us while we're watching it, if if tradition holds. If history holds, <laughs> yes. Usually the games are on while we're doing interviews, so we'll throw it on, on the laptop and everybody's having a good old time. We'll do interviews, games on in the background, all that kind of stuff. It's a great time. Uh, and then Monday, most likely, we'll we'll find time to to record in person a Super Bowl preview episode with the final two teams remaining. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this format. Again, if you are interested in supporting the show directly, our uh, clothing partner, Homage. Whether you're looking for anything to represent your NFL team or anything to represent bootleg, period. They also have. Uh, uh, bootleg merch on homage now as well you can find that link in the description anything you get to support either us or your team will directly support us because we get a cut of anything you buy so thank you to homage for supporting us thank you to underdog Uh, thank you to all of our executive producers for bootleg football on the patreon Iken, marat consti andrew liam connor and mike l and if all of you guys are listening please keep an eye out on your inbox because we have our uh, ring of honor q a coming up EJ and I are going to be doing that in person from Texas this coming week as well. 
and we're going to try to to figure out scheduling a time for all of you guys to, to be there together. So uh, anyway, with that being said, we will see you guys very soon with our Super Bowl preview. And until then, later.